The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Welcome here, everyone. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at White Ridge, uh, and it's just great to have everyone here. And for those of you online, glad that you could join us. Uh, first of all, if you're new, a very special welcome to you, uh, and we would love to connect with you if, if you're new. Uh, and the best way to do that is to fill out a welcome card, and you can fill out a welcome card uh, by going online to our website. Uh, you can do that digitally. You can also do that here in person at the chair right in front of you. Uh, there's a little pouch, and there should be a welcome card in there, uh, and you can put that welcome card in the offering basket, which is at the back of the room where you first came into the door there. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you let us know that you're here, we will, uh, we will want to connect with you by, by phone or by email sometime soon. Uh, so, so welcome here. I, I want to talk about this coming summer. We're all gearing up to, to uh, what this summer will be. Uh, and in fact, I'm, I'm uh, blessed to be able to take a bit of a sabbatical for July and August. Um, but for everybody who's going to be doing your summer things, going on vacation and all of that, we invite you guys to, to stay connected with us. And one of the best ways to do that is uh, through our White Ridge app. If you have an app uh, that you've already downloaded, that's great. I, I use mine every day. I know lots of, users are, lots of you are using yours as well. But it's a place for information and communication. You can find prayer requests there. You can post prayer requests there. Uh, you can get videos and podcasts. Also, uh, opportunities to, to give financially to church ministry. All of these things can be found on our, our, our app, as well as our online directory, uh, which is a way for us to be able to connect with each, each other, too. So if you don't have your app yet, uh, you, can, you can go online to our website, and you can download that. Uh, and you, can, you can also click on this, uh, this QR code, and that will take you there as well. Uh, some of you already know Jack and Sharon Chow. They've been part of our church family now for a couple of years. Uh, we've really enjoyed getting to know them. And they have a brand new baby boy, and his name is Benjamin. And so we want to praise God. Praise God for uh, his arrival. He was born yesterday morning. Uh, and Jack and Sharon, I don't know if you're, if you're watching this morning, but uh, congratulations to you and Jack. Happy Father's Day, buddy. Uh, it's really an exciting time for them. Uh, this coming week, uh, there's a barbecue for Growing in Grace. That's taking place on Thursday, and this is the last day to register for that. Uh, and you can do that either online, or you can also, if you're here, you can go to our Welcome Center in the foyer right after the service, and you can sign up there. But this is our, our seniors group, and it's going to be a wonderful time of fellowship on Thursday, so uh, I hope that you can come out to that. Uh, also, uh, next Sunday, we're having another newcomer's lunch. And what that is, it's an opportunity for if, if you're pretty new here and you want to connect with some people, uh, you can sign up for the newcomer's lunch and, and uh, sit down with some people and get to know them around tables. And so you'll meet some new people you'll, you, that are also uh, new here, but you'll also get a chance to meet some of the church leadership, and they're, they're going to have a few words to say as well about, about what happens uh, here at White Ridge Baptist Church. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, please do so. You can register on our website uh, or through our app, if you have our app. Uh, also, next Sunday, um, we're going to be celebrating our high school grads. So if you are a high school grad or if you have somebody in your family who is a high school grad, we would like to celebrate them in our church service next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Rudy is in charge of that. Uh, but just let the office know um, about your grad and about uh, maybe you could send a picture as well as a little bit of information as to what 
what you might be doing, uh, doing next, if, if you know that already. And we'd be happy to, uh, to celebrate you next, next Sunday. Um, also, uh, if you are somebody who is working in summer uh, Christian camp ministry, uh, we've, we'd like to be able to help you out financially a little bit. Uh, and so uh, the way to do that is, is just to contact us and let us know that, uh, that, that you're serving in camp ministry and uh, there's, a, there's, uh, there's some, some help that we can give you. And then finally, uh, just to talk a little bit about, about offering, uh, we're still at a place where we're not passing an offering plate around here as we're coming out of the pandemic that we've been in, uh, but there is, there is a basket in the back if you want to leave an offering there, and there's lots of different ways to give, and, and, and we give from what God's given us, and, and we're, we've been talking about this as staff a lot lately, uh, how amazing it is that God has blessed us in so many ways, and uh, we want to give to church ministry as, as God leads us to uh, out of what he has, he has blessed us with. And uh, if, if you're feeling led to do that, uh, aside from giving here personally, you can also go to our website uh, or to our, to our app, and there's lots of on, online ways you can give. Uh, you can, uh, there's, there's texting options, there's also uh, uh, pre-authorized giving op- options and, uh, and various other things as well. So please feel free uh, to check that out. Uh, this morning, we are especially blessed uh, to celebrate that yesterday afternoon, uh, we had a baptism. Uh, it was in uh, Terry and Pat's pool in their backyard, and it was Luke Weeb uh, who was baptized yesterday. And this morning, uh, we're going to see that on video. But first, I'm going to invite uh, Luke to come up, and he's going to share just a little bit about uh, his walk with Jesus. So Luke, please, please join us. Hello. Oh boy. Um, uh, so I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, my grandparents, everyone in my family for my entire life has been teaching me that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and I should give my life to dedicate my life to him. And this morning I'm just going to tell you about two, two and a half kind of particular instances where that really um, became just more evidence to me that, that that's the way I want to live my life. So the first one was uh, going from the transition from grade six to grade seven, so elementary to middle school. There was the just everything becomes a lot less innocent, and the language used and everything just becomes a lot more mature, I suppose. And uh, it just it really shocked me then. And I remember having a conversation with my grandma about it, and she told me. Well, this is a good thing now because from a young age you have to choose that you want to live the way God, t- yeah, God tells us to live instead of failing, falling into the earthly things. So, And then that really kind of stuck with me that that is kind of how I want to live. I want to dedicate my life to God instead of falling into the, the not-so-great things. And then uh, another like one-and-a-half things that are kind of related is so I took uh, the LDP program at Winkler Bible Camp uh, two years ago now, and it was pretty much eight days of just hearing people talk about God, talk about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, and I was staying at my grandparents' place for, during the evenings with my best friend, and we, uh, we continued to have conversations about that even in the evening after that, so it was just pretty much eight days of just pure Jesus the whole time. I'm learning about it and thinking about it, and uh, 
that was really something. There was no particular moment within that, but throughout that thing, I came out of that thinking, really, this is what I want my life to be. This is who I want to live for. So then going back the next summer, I went back to Winkler Bible Camp and worked a few weeks, I think seven weeks there last summer, and just made a lot of really great friends and, and just throughout the summer, just a lot of Jesus and thinking about that. and Yeah, just everything became clear to me that this is who I want to live my life for and and this is what life is all about. And then uh, a few months ago now, Rudy was preaching about baptism during our youth group, little spiel there, and he, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then we talked about it afterwards, and I, just a couple of days later, I decided that that's, I wanted to get baptized, and so I sent him a text and went through that whole process, and now I did get baptized. So, yeah, that's it. of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woo! Amen. You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> if you would all stand while we read the scripture this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 16, verses 17 through 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. 
The, Lord, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Susipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Aristus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret from long, for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Try that. There we go. Sorry about that. That was my fault. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone, and um, uh, glad to be here together with you. I'm wearing a mask, and you didn't see me before the service because um, I'm officially past the uh, isolation period for those who have tested positive for COVID, but just to be safe, I'm avoiding all of you, so don't take it personally <laughs> if I exit stage left afterwards. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking this morning about uh, maturity. Um, I want to begin by just uh, commending all you fathers. Happy Father's Day. And uh, the, the theme of maturity and, and, and Father's Day, they're, they're not lining up. We seem to always pick on fathers on Father's Day and lift up mothers on Mother's Day. But we're not doing that today. It just happened that this is what the text is all about. Before I go there, though, I want to just remind you that this coming fall, we have a sermon series that is going to be called the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about the, uh, is it up there? Yeah, it's working. Oh, good. Um, walking the path of kingdom values. Really looking forward to this sermon series. And also, um, Doug has been working on uh, arranging discipleship groups that will be this fall. Our discipleship plan or model or philosophy is called Life Path. And uh, this fall, you will have an opportunity to get involved in a discipleship group and to um, join in, in uh, getting uh, through the study with us together. And also on Wednesdays, we're going to be hopefully filling this room with, uh, with meals uh, from, from 5.30 till 7. And then at 7, we'll uh, switch gears and go right into that study. If you are coming that evening, there'll be a place for you. So I want to give you a heads up on that. And uh, you might have already got something on your phone or device. That's a survey. Doug would love you to fill that out. We're trying to plan for hosts and leaders for this fall. So uh, just take note of that. <clears throat> Let me lead us in prayer before we look at the Word of God. Father, we've already just in this song we've sung, uh, confessed that we believe in you, our Father and your Son, our Savior Jesus, and the Holy Spirit who dwells within each believer. And we declare that today because we know it's truth and we, we believe it timeless truth, Lord, that we, we stake our lives on. And we know that if we are going to grow in faith and in maturity, 
that it'll only be because we press into you. We uh, decide that you are going to be the center of our living. And so I pray you'd bless that, Lord. Even as we heard a little bit of Luke's testimony this morning, we thank you for raising him up and, and growing him in his faith, and we just pray blessing upon him as he continues that journey. Would you bless our time together? Would you bless each father that's being acknowledged today and the time of family gathering, the expression of gratitude? Would you bless that, Father? That's a good thing, and we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from you, our Heavenly Father. So be glorified today, and watch over this, uh, this message, Lord, that what I share might be edifying for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, <clears throat> several years ago, Psychology Today um, published uh, an article that identified seven marks of maturity. <clears throat> I know we don't go to Psychology Today to find out what is uh, the best way to live. Let me just... Um, but we do uh, see in this article seven things that I think you'll see are based on biblical principles. A mature person is able to keep long-term commitments. A mature person is unshaken by flattery or criticism. A mature person possesses a spirit of humility. A person and decisions are based on character, not feeling. A mature person expresses gratitude consistently. A mature person knows how to prioritize others before themselves. And a mature person seeks wisdom before acting or is teachable. We could, we could gather a whole bunch of Bible verses at the end of each of those and prove those from Scripture. Not a bad list, even though it's not exhaustive. The question is, how do we compare? How good are we at examining our own lives and considering our maturity? We are all able to be so immature on occasion. Can you think of the last time you were immature? It might have been this morning on the way to church. If you're not sure, ask someone that was driving with you maybe. I don't know. I mean, we can all be so immature. So as we go through this, what Paul has done in this passage that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning is he's actually identified seven marks of spiritual maturity, and we have an opportunity to test ourselves on how we're doing. Now, I want you to know that there is no Scripture in all of the Bible that is an exhaustive list of maturity or qualities of maturity. You won't find it. It's not there. We're looking at one today. Someone might say, oh, 1 Corinthians 13. Someone would say, Book of James and so on. But there is no exhaustive list of what a mature disciple looks like in all of the Bible. Why is that? Because the only way of really seeing maturity is by looking at the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect man, right? And so therefore, there's no scripture that fully encompasses everything that is Christ-like. And the goal of our discipleship is Christ-likeness. And so our goal should be to examine as much as we can what Jesus is like, but no one author encapsulates that. And so you see rather glimpses of it all throughout the Word of God. This morning we'll see some as well. I love what uh, Major Ian Thomas writes in his book called The Indwelling Life of Christ. He said, For the first time since Adam fell into sin, there was on earth a man as God intended man to be. He's talking about when Jesus was made incarnate and walked the earth. For the first time, here was a man as God intended 
man to be. That's the way it is. And so let's examine these seven qualities that Paul highlights. And it's in the context of identifying false teachers that Paul seems to highlight what maturity looks like. And these false teachers are given a description in this scripture. False teachers serve themselves rather than Christ. They use smooth talk and flattery to deceive. They cause divisions. But in contrast, Paul says, but you Roman Christians, you're not like that. And so he goes into some alluding to seven qualities that I would like to describe. In verse 17, he uses the word, that's not the way you were taught, or continue in the way you were taught. And the interesting thing about the word taught is it's the same root word as the word disciple, manzano. And so we see in verse 17 that they were discipled. That's what we're talking about in verse 17 of chapter 16. Paul uses the same word in Ephesians 4.20. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. Learned is a word for disciple. That's not the way you were discipled. Philippians 4.9, what you have learned or been discipled in and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 7, just as you learned them from Epaphras or, or uh, were discipled in them, our beloved servant and so on. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so the Colossian church were discipled or learned that from Epaphras. What about the Roman church? How were they discipled? Where did they learn it? Because Paul had not even visited Rome at, at this point of writing. Well, the answer is clearly in what Pastor Doug shared last week when he listed 33 different names that are found in Romans chapter 16. Those are the people that discipled the church in Rome. And he lists all kinds of them. 24 of the 33 are in Rome at the time of Paul writing. Another nine of them are in Corinth with Paul. And all of them had had a hand in being colleagues with Paul in shaping the churches that he had planted throughout Asia Minor. And so people like, people like Priscilla and Aquila who were tent makers. And every time we mention Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible... Six times they're in the Bible. It's always about a ministry. It's always about encouraging someone. It's always about discipling. And so the question of who discipled the Roman church, well, it's in the list of names that are found in chapter 16. There's a whole bunch of foot soldiers that has to be in every church. We cannot depend on pastors and elders and deacons to do the job. All of us are foot soldiers having an opportunity to influence someone else and lead them closer to Christ. The question is, who discipled you? You look back in your life and can you say, yeah, I had someone took, under, took me under their arm and, and walked it through with me. I can say to you that I did not. I did not have someone who formally discipled me. And as I get older, I can continue to think that's what I want to invest my life in. I want to be mentoring and discipling others into the faith, into maturity. Now, many of us can say that our parents had a huge hand in that, and that is indeed the first place. That's ground zero for discipleship is the home. And I want to encourage you fathers, regardless of the age of your children, I want to encourage you fathers listening today, don't ever stop taking the initiative. Don't ever stop taking the initiative. You have an influence, you have a leadership capacity in your family, whether you like it or not, or whether you see it or not. 
And that's what God calls us to. We've read a book as a board and staff during COVID. We read a couple of books. One of them was called Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. And he defines disciple like this in Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And there's three simple components of a mature disciple there. Three simple components. Follow me. A disciple knows Christ and wants to follow and obey him. And I will make you. A disciple is being changed by Christ. Fishers of men. A disciple is invested in Christ's mission. That's a very simple way of thinking what your goal in life is as a follower of Jesus. You want to follow through on those three commitments. Well, let's take a look after that long introduction at the seven qualities. We're going to move quickly through these seven qualities of a mature disciple. And the first one found in verse 17 is that a mature disciple watches out for false teachers and false teaching. Verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, that you have been discipled into is another way of translating it. Jesus had told the disciples, watch out for false teachers. And Paul also had taught in other letters in the Galatian churches. He talked about the Judaizers, watch out for them. In the Corinthian church, he, call, he called them super apostles that teach a different gospel. Every time Paul writes a letter, it seems like he has to comment on a warning because there's false teachers and false teaching out there. Some of the teaching denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Some deny that he actually was God in the flesh. Some either accept part of his deity or part of his humanity, but not complete package. Some teach this licentious living that sexual immorality is not that bad because we've been saved by grace. There's so many brands of false teachers and false teaching. We don't know the exact nature of the warning that gives, is given to the church at Rome. Some people think that maybe it has to do with the fact that there was Jewish and Gentile presence in the same church and there was some ethnic conflict going on. False teachers were encouraging an isolationist attitude. We're not sure. But what we do know is that a mature disciple watches out for it. The word is scopeo. It mean, it's where we get our word microscope or, or telescope. It has to do with really watching intensely. Keep an eye on people who are teaching wrong things or that are living in a divisive way. And so Paul says that same word in Galatians 6.1. He uses it for the watching yourself. Galatians 6.1, keep watch over yourselves. Have a discerning eye over your own faith. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, watch out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. This word is employed in different ways. Philippians 3.17, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Keep your eyes on good examples, Paul says in Philippians. Right here in Romans 16, he's saying, keep your eye on the bad examples that are out there. There are some false teachers in every church, perhaps in every generation, we need to be careful as to how we see them living. It reminds me of the summer sermon series that we start in just two weeks from now, Follow Me As I Follow Christ. We're really trying to 
drill down into that discipleship theme, and I hope that this is a good summer for that. Well, let's go on to the second point. In addition to watching those who are good examples, Paul tells the Christians in Rome to watch out for bad examples because um, they cause divisions and they create obstacles, but a mature Christian avoids those who cause divisions and creates obstacles. That word obstacles is the word scandalon, where we get our word scandalous. It literally was a snare or a trap that would cause someone to fall. Just, Just avoid those people who are causing others to stumble and fall. And Paul's advice is avoid them carries the word idea of not having anything to do with them. And uh, we need to be careful with such an instruction because just because someone doesn't agree with my thinking or my theology or my particular way of describing stuff doesn't mean I avoid them. This is talking about those big doctrines that have to centrally on Christ that is is not Christ-exalting, His grace, His word, and so on. And we need to be careful He's talking about those kinds of divisions. And the mature believer is able to see it, able to smell it, and able to discern how to walk out the truth in love. And we can confront in love in that way. Thirdly, Paul says that the mature disciple is not easily deceived because they're not naive. Verse 18, verse 18, not easily deceived is a way that we should describe the mature it says in the verse 18 that false teachers serve themselves and their own appetites. The word there is bellies. They serve their own bellies rather than Christ. They're smooth talkers. They use flattery. The word for flattery there is the word for eulogize. Do you ever been to a funeral where someone is being eulogized and they're really being flattered? <laughs> Well, if you're alive and you're hearing someone talk to you and they're, they're doing that in a in, in an excessive way, you should have the maturity, number one, not to believe everything they're saying about you, and number two, not to need it, not to need to hear that. That's a mature believer. Eulogize means to speak a good word. Well, this is way in excess of just a good word. This is flattery in this context. Someone said that the people who live on compliments will die on criticism. We need to be careful if we just love to hear that stroking our ego comments. And so Paul talks about that. He says, be careful. Be careful of the inside outsiders. Those who are inside the church, but outside of Christ, true faith in Christ. Need to be careful of those people. And um, they're going to give themselves away eventually if you get to know them. How do they do that? Well, verse 18 tells us they serve their own interests. You watch somebody's life long enough, you can see, are they serving their own interests or the interests of Christ? And so a mature believer is secure in who they are, what they believe. They have ballast in their lives. I love that term ballast, by the way, that, that, that stuff that is put in the keel of a, of a ship to keep it from easily tipping over. In fact, um, I, I was very interested to learn this past week that 35 to 40 percent of a ship's weight has got to be found in its keel, in its ballast. That's how much is required so that the center of gravity is low, so that it keeps it from being top-heavy, it gives it stability. 
That's a really good picture of what a mature Christian has to have in her or his life is ballast. Where does it come from? It comes from being rooted and grounded in God, in a relationship with God, in, in an understanding of self and humility. And so let's take a look at Ephesians 4 where Paul employs this ballast imagery. And I want you to listen for it as I read Ephesians 4, verse 12 to 15. Paul is saying that he gave, God gave the church pastors and teachers for this reason, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see what maturity looks like? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You can't find that in one verse in the Bible. You can't find that description. That's the goal, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's your goal, Christian. So that we may no longer be, here's the ballast imagery, we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are building one another up into him who is the head that is Christ. Do you hear the ballast in there? Like a ship that's out in the ocean, it's got ballast. You as a Christian, as you mature in your faith, you can have that in your life. You don't need to be dependent in an unhealthy way on others who have to stroke you, build you up, acknowledge you, make sure they commend you every time you do something. And so God tells us we don't need to be tossed about by worldly philosophy, by the approval of others, by false teaching, because the God of truth and the truth of God and the God of love and the love of God is our security, and it, it gives us that buoyancy. Let's move on to number four, another sign of maturity Paul commends to the Christians in Rome is their obedience. Verse 19, your obedience is known to all, and I rejoice, Paul says, who were they obedient to? Well, the people that had discipled them. What were they obedient about? The, the life that God had shown them is a discipled life. And in this context, it was a way of life that Paul commended. Probably we are to, meant to understand that in the, in the most broad terms possible, Paul rejoiced because every time he heard a report about the church at Rome, it was a good report. They were doing well. And I want you to know, it, it, parents and grandparents out there, is there anything that's more like pure joy than hearing about your children or grandchildren and they're walking it out in faith and integrity? There's nothing, I mean, just put that in a glass and drink it down, it's pure joy. It's like 3 John, verse 4. John says kind of like what Paul's saying here. In 3 John 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy than that, Paul says, John says. And so you fathers and you mothers, you, you enjoy that. You enjoy that. And let it drive you forward to be the kind of influence in your children's lives. No greater joy than hearing somebody else comment on your child or your grandchild in a good way. Lovely to hear that stuff. Number five, 
They're wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Verse 19, Paul says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now, interestingly enough, that word innocent is the same word as the word naive in verse 18. So let's be careful here. Let's, let's think this through. What's Paul saying? What's the point that Paul is making? It's okay to be innocent about evil, but it's not okay to be naive about false teachers and teaching. Do you see the difference here? I think we need to thread the needle. I think we need to find the difference. Paul's using the same word in two extreme ways. I think that we need to be sharp in our thinking. Watch out for those who are false teachers. Be vigilant. But don't think that you must be well-versed or immersed in evil to be vigilant against false teaching and evil. I think I made that mistake when I was in grade 10. And I remember even telling my mother, saying, how am I to know how my friends are and what their path they're taking is bad and so on if I don't take it with them? And so for a few months, I smoked marijuana and I drank some beer and alcohol to excess. And I was thinking that I was being wise and getting educated in evil. And I thought that was wise. Well, you know what? I was immature as a Christian in grade 10. And God got a hold of my life in grade 11, and I just started growing like I was on steroids. I looked back a couple years later, and I thought, how could I be so foolish? Well, I was careless. I thought I had to be wise about evil and good. No. That was the devil's mistake. We have to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. It's okay for you not to know things that are going on in this world in the realm of absolute evil. I have met people who are enamored and infatuated with the demonic. They have to know the things of the demonic influences that are going on around them. I don't think so. If it comes into your home, if it comes into your heart, yeah, you better be wise to call out on Jesus Christ who can deliver you from all evil spirits. But you don't play around in devil's play, playground. You do not play around with evil. And so, be wise. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 16, I think Paul's just restating what he had known Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16. When Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's the way we should be living. Paul is simply repeating these words, and uh, we need to be wise and well-fed on what is good and simple, and even ignorant is okay sometimes on what is evil. Childlike faith. A whole bunch of children here, they don't know a ton of stuff about evil in this world. Praise the Lord. There'll come a day when their innocence will no longer be as clear, and they will understand evil better. Right now, they don't need to understand that. And Paul is saying, what's your faith like? Can you stay innocent about what is evil and wise about what is good? Number six, Paul says, their hope is firmly in the God of peace who will soon crush Satan. Why can we focus on being wise about what is good and innocent about evil? It's because we know that God who keeps his promise is one day going to crush Satan. We know that. 
It's going to happen. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The mature Christian understands that Satan has a, a clock ticking. And God knows the last second that's going to tick. And their hope, the mature believer's hope is in God, the God of peace, who's giving confidence every day, regardless of what onslaught of attack we face from the enemy. We hold up the shield of faith. We extinguish the fiery darts one at a time. We pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and petitions. And we use the Word of God like the sword of the Spirit. But we know soon, Paul says. Do you know what that word soon means? It doesn't mean soon because this is written 2,000 years ago, so soon didn't mean soon in time. It meant unexpectedly. That's the idea there. Unexpectedly, surprisingly, quickly. It's going to happen, folks. In fact, if you take your Bibles right now, if you were to turn to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, this word, quickly, soon, is used three times by Jesus Christ himself, the risen Lord, the last written word that he gave us before he was taken up and before, uh, before he returns. What is the last word? You'll find it in Revelation 22, verse 7. It says, I'm coming soon, quickly. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon, quickly. Again in verse 21, or verse 20, Surely I am coming soon. And then the response is, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You see, three times the risen Lord said, I'm coming soon. Why, is he, why does he do that? Why does he end the Holy Scriptures with that kind of a verse or that kind of comments? Because we need to know. All of our light and momentary afflictions on this earth are going to seem like nothing compared to eternity and the glory that God has waiting for us. And then this mortal life will look back upon and say, it was quick. It was quick. And so, get the full weight of the word crush as well. In verse 20, the word crush means to break into pieces. Verse 7, or sorry, seven times in the New Testament this word is used. For example, Matthew 12, 20. Jesus is quoting Isaiah, and he says, a bruised reed Jesus will not crush or break. What's he referring to? A bruised reed. It's when you and I are at the most vulnerable in our lives. A bruised reed is reference to when you are broken and down and almost out of the game. Guess what kind of God God is? A bruised reed he will not crush. That's one example of that word being used. Another example is found in Mark chapter 5, the demonized man. Remember him? He was so strong, he would take all the chains and tear them off of him. He was so strong, he broke them, crushed them, until Jesus came along and he healed the man, made him enter his right mind. It's used in Mark 14 when Jesus, the day before he is crucified, he's being anointed by a woman with pure nard, an expensive perfume. And she breaks the jar, crushes the jar, and pours it over his head. Another example. But here, and in, in Luke 4, it's used of the brokenhearted. You are broke, your heart's been crushed. 
Jesus comes along to heal it. But in Romans 16, takes up Paul this word, and he says, the God of peace will crush Satan soon. Christians, you keep your focus on the God of peace. And uh, he says, it's going to crush him under our feet. Our feet. You have a participation in the victory of Jesus Christ over the enemy through your praying, through your living, through your testimony. May God encourage us. Finally, I want to just say the last uh, mark of the mature found in verses 21 to 23 is that the mature follower of Jesus Christ is him or herself a fellow worker with others. They're team players. They're not islands. Paul mentions more colleagues in verses 21 to 23, and that word fellow worker is an interesting word. It just it, it speaks of that synergy together. And he uses the term already in verse 3 and 9, but then he uses the word kinsman. That word kinsman was reserved for blood relatives, but Paul felt so close to those that were in his team that he felt like he was related by blood, kindred spirit. We all need some kindred spirit in our lives. People that you just know, they think and they, they look at life like you do. And you can pick up with them after having not seen them for a long time. And you're back in fellowship. And you're praying and talking together because you have the same value system. You're, you're a kindred spirit with them. That's who Paul had working with him. And a mature Christian seeks those people out. If you're growing in your maturity, you cannot be an island. You open up your life to others and you walk together. And then there's the final verses. And I, I envision this happening in verses 21 to 23. I envision that the ones that are with Paul are starting to get a sense that he's winding down. He mentions Timothy and they think he's getting ready to wind down to the final benediction. And so what happens is in verse 22, the young man that's writing the letter, the scribe, he picks up the pen and Paul didn't dictate this part. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then the others that are around him notice that he's written that, and so they, they chime in as well, I think. In verse uh, 22 or 23, uh, the man who's the host of Paul and his companions t- says in verse 23, Gaius, who is also host to me and to the whole church, greets you, and Erastus, the treasurer. And See, it's just that, and then finally... Paul says, hey, let's get back on track here, and he pronounces that final doxology, verses 25 to 27, which we will look at next week. So how do you see yourself? When you think about lists of the signs of maturity, these qualities, how do, you, how do you measure up? How do you see yourself? Well, one of the dangers of this kind of a message, one of the dangers of listing signs of maturity is that we try to put them on like Saul's armor, on David. Did Saul's armor fit David? No. You see, the danger is that we we somehow see each of these as independent little qualities that we just got to work on instead of looking at working on the stature of our obedience to Christ, the stature of Christ-likeness. If you grow closer and closer to Jesus, you will grow more and more mature and all of these qualities will be evidenced. 
But if you look at them as a self-help project and one by one you try to put on more truth or more obedience or more discernment or more wisdom, you're going to be dragged down. Something's going to go wrong. You can't wear Saul's armor. You need to let God develop the authentic you by the Holy Spirit, by the transformation that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And that's the way that you're going to grow to be a mature believer. And may God, by his grace, enable us to do so more and more. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Father, for just what we've received from Pastor Terry today. And I pray that um, as we go from here, you would just write the message on our hearts and bring us to be more like you every single day and grow in our maturity. And yeah, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, guys. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Post-lude.